Well, we have been studying in the book of Exodus that this book is the hope of redemption. It is the picture book that God gives about how He is going to save His people. Uh, this section in Exodus chapter 3 is particularly important. Remember, we have Moses at the burning bush. He is there and he observes this bush that is not consumed. He turns aside to behold it and begins to uh, speak with the angel of the Lord through that, that bush. And, and God has come to him and said, you're now going to deliver my people out of Egypt. And Moses' rightful, humble response is, who am I to be able to uh, carry on such a task as this? And, and this sets up a really important paragraph because this paragraph is going to teach us about God. And it teaches us about God in an extremely unique way uh, because this is God going to give His name. And it is the only time in the Scriptures that God explains His name. He gives it once right here, and there's no further explanation in the Scriptures about what that means or what that looks like. And, and we've grown accustomed to that. We're, we're accustomed in the Old Testament reading the, cap, the four letters capitalized, L-O-R-D, Lord, And this is the one spot where God explains, this is what that means. When you say that, Yahweh, the Lord, this is what that looks like. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight, because it gives us a picture that we don't see anywhere else uh, in the Scriptures about who God is. So we're in Exodus chapter 3, you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 3, and we'll begin in verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the people, this people say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob have appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three-day journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty, but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. This is an amazing text. Now, 
I think these first couple of verses, verses 13 and 14, are perhaps the most confusing. And that's what I want to spend a lot of our time talking about for a moment. First, the question that Moses even asked seems to be odd, right? Uh, okay, I'm going to be the deliverer and I'm going to go to Egypt. And uh, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And you kind of read that and go, well, didn't you just say his name? It is the God of our fathers has come to me and has said, we're going to do this. What are you asking when you say this? What would be the people asking that Moses would say, I need to have something to give to them when they ask who sent me? And it has to be something more than saying the God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, that appears to be insufficient. It's important to keep in mind that as distant as our culture is from this, that names back then meant something. And for us, names don't mean really anything. Usually we choose names based on how they sound, how they fit. You know, we couldn't have a a girl here and name with beginning with a K because it's going to be an alliteration. You can't have a Callie Kirchville, so you can't do that. You know, that's how we pick out names. That's not how names worked in in, in the scriptures. Names had meaning. And you think about how frequently we're told that. Consider like Abram. His name is changed to Abraham because he's going to be the father of many nations. We see it with Jacob after he wrestles with the angel and is successful. We see his name changed to Israel for he struggled with God. E-L is God, Israel. And so you see it even with Simon in the New Testament. Jesus tells Simon, your name's not going to be Simon anymore. Your name's Peter because we're going to build the kingdom upon you. And that's the picture that's given there. He's the rock. And so you have these images that are constantly given in the scripture scriptures in saying I'm changing your name because your name reflects either your character or something's about to happen with you or to you and that's what you're seeing with Abraham and you see with Peter and you see with Jacob is why these names are the way they are and why God changes them now so here is what what Abraham or excuse me, what Moses is then asking of God is I need a name to tell them and it's not just simply to be able to say you know I don't know what to call you by when I go and talk to the people. That's not the idea at all. Instead, I need something to be able to express to them what you're about to do. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense for a couple of reasons. One, if Moses all of a sudden appears back in Egypt 40 years later and says, hey, God sent me for us to be delivered. Let's go. Anybody going to go? Yeah, we believe that. Uh, No. Who, who sent you? How are we supposed to know that this is supposed to happen? Is it all fine, well, and good for you to come back and say, hey, God sent me, but okay. And second, for Moses' sake, remember, Moses already tried this 40 years ago. He thought he was going to deliver the people. That's why he kills the Egyptian and his own people reject him. Oh, well, what are you trying to do? Who made you ruler and judge over us? And so Moses has to flee. And so this is what Moses is asking is, I need an explanation about you that will show that Moses is going to be the deliverer. I need an explanation about what you are going to do. How are we going to know? I'm going to go to them and say, I just talked to God in a burning bush. And how are they supposed to respond to that? I need a name. 
I need an, an expression of your character, of what you are about to do, so that we then will follow and they will know that you have sent me. That's, that's what he's asking here. So that when they challenge him and say, well, who sent you? He has an answer to that. Now, God's answer to this, I think, is, is really interesting because we struggle, I think, with this answer when God says to Moses, I am who I am. (laughs) All right. And God is not being coy with that. That's not him being indirect or trying to be confusing. It is perhaps the greatest expression to try to explain who he is in trying to lay out. Here is an answer, an explanation of what it means. And I think one of the reasons why this answer that God gives in expressing His name, who He is, why that's so hard for us to understand is because God's answer breaks our definition of personhood. That's the best way I could figure out how to say it. Because if you were to say, you know, who are you? I'd say like, I'm Brent, I am 42 years old, I teach the Bible, I am these things. Nobody says, I am who I am. (laughs) What? You know, we have these qualifiers, these things that define us, that show us who we are. I am a male, I'm 42, all these things. And for God to say that reveals an important picture that God's not defined by anything. You can't just say, I am, and fill in a blank and go, there you go. That's that's the sum total of God. What are you going to say? I mean, that's what we do that all the time. He's love. He's eternal. He's just. He's right. He's good. I mean, where do you stop? (laughs) You can't stop. What is he? What defines him? I am who I am. And that's what he expresses here when he says that, is that there's no way to take the concept of God and try to put him in some kind of particular box to say, therefore, here he is. He's this. You can put me in a box. Okay, I'm this, but not this. I'm this, but not... Well, you can't go very far with that on God. God is who he is. And the idea of using that language, particularly in Hebrew construction, it expresses totality and completeness. I want you to see that later on in the book of Exodus. Notice the same construction is there. Exodus 16, verse 22. And it reads there, When all the leaders of the congregation came... And told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Today is a day of solemn, or tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept until morning. Notice twice is that construction. Bake what you will bake, boil what you will boil. I am who I am. It's that same construction. What does it mean when God says, bake what you will bake? Well, I can bake a lot. How much are you going to bake in a day? Bake what you will bake. It's an expression of totality. It's an expression of fullness and completeness. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. He's like, all right, I can boil an awful lot and I'll bake an awful lot. Here's God now using that construction on himself. I am who I am. That's a very big box. That doesn't limit 
It expresses totality. It expresses fullness. It expresses completeness. And that's the idea of what this is in God expressing then who He is. Of all of the pictures to be able to say who He is, He is saying something that indicates His eternality, His uh, permanence of His presence. He is there And He is always there. A a way to word this and a a way to kind of get at it is God isn't saying I am who I am is expressing I am the one that truly exists. I will always be present with you then, there, everywhere. Uh, I am who I am. It just it is an expression of being in all places. I am there. I will be with you. I will not be absent because I am. And that's the whole message that Moses is needing to hear from God is success is going to happen because this is who God is. This is the very character of God. You go and tell them you have I am. He is with us then and there and everywhere. He is present and He is always present. He is I am. He isn't I was or I used to be there or I might at the moment. I am who I am. It is just expressing this massive mind-blowing concept of fullness and completeness that our finite limited minds and our limitations by time and our physical bodies just have a very hard time grasping. In fact, the whole idea is to basically say, the Lord is. And again, our minds just struggle with that. He, he just is, and He doesn't change, because He's the I Am. That's the picture that, that's being given to us. He is the I am, and therefore he does not change, and he always will be. Again, this is a contrast to false gods. And God, We'll talk about some of this a little bit later on, but you think about how God will always talk about himself in the contrast of false gods. And the biggest contrast is they're not there. You can't depend upon them. They're not available. And God is saying, I am. I'm always here. I am ever present. I will always be there because that's who I am. And so it's really a great picture of that. But it's also important in considering when God says I am who I am, that he's not the God that you want him to be. He is who he is. We don't get to define that. That's what's so amazing about God's name. God's name is not, well, what do you think I am? (laughs) That's our world today. Well, what do you think God is? God goes, I have a description of who I am, and it's not what you think I am. I am who I am. He is unchanging. He is always there. In fact, what makes this answer mind-blowing is that His name is not a noun. That's what's so strange about it. If you started to express yourself, you'd say, I, and then you would come up with another noun about who you are. 42, I'm male... He just is. That's unusual. He just is. And it's a picture of He is always there. He is always active. He is always present. He is always there. 
I want you to think about why this would be such a powerful message to Israel because that's what he has to go do now. And that's why I think it's great is God doesn't stop on the explanation here as he says in verse 14, just tell them, I am has sent me to you. That, that, you tell them that. But he doesn't just end there and say, so that's what they should know. Listen to what else he says. Verse 15. Say, to, say this to the people of Israel. The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So go and gather the elders together and say to them, the Lord, that's Yahweh right there. That's the, the I am who I am. The, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt in the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the, and the Jebusites, a, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they'll listen to your voice. What is God saying about himself right there? Here is is God and he is expressing, here's the name I want you to give them. I am who I am. But notice how that's relevant to the condition of Israel. He goes, Moses, you tell them I am. But here's what that means. It means I'm going to keep my covenant with this people. And that's what he starts to express when he begins with the God of your fathers. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. For God had made promises to each of those three men in speaking about what God was going to do with his people. And he's telling them, you go remind them that I am means I'm covenantally faithful. The I am is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The I am keeps his word. The I am keeps his promises. And then he goes a little bit further in verse 16. What does it mean for him to be the I am? He says, I've watched you and I've seen everything that has happened to you. I've observed everything that has gone on. Now, friends, they've been suffering for a really long time down there in Egypt. We've already mentioned before, just in Moses' lifetime, we have 80 years that have passed by. Never mind the oppression that has gone on before the arrival of Moses up to that point. Once the Pharaoh rises up, who does not know who Joseph was, the oppression and the enslavement has begun. And so all of this time goes by, and yet notice what God is saying. I watched you. That's what it means that he's I am. He sees your condition. He sees what's happening. He absolutely knows what's going on. And that's what he expresses in verse 16. You go tell Israel, I saw what was happening to you. I observed every bit of that. All of the lashes, all the oppression, all of those baby boys thrown into the knot. I observed all of that. And then he presses it further and says, and I make a promise to you that I'm going to bring you up out of this land, this land of affliction, he calls it. And I'm going to take you to the land of blessings. And you're getting a wonderful picture about God that in spite of all of that suffering and all of that oppression and all that pain, God saw what was going on and he had promised to act. That is a really big deal about understanding the character of God. When we deal with difficulties and you deal with suffering, as you would think, as you read these first three chapters, 
that God was, did not care or God was not aware. And look at all the time that has passed by. Look at how God is not acting. And notice that God in saying I am means he's there. He is always present and he always sees and he knows what is going on and he is going to do something about it. That's what is all tied up in verses 15 to 17 is that very name. This is his name forever that God is and he is always then with his people. In fact, he goes a little bit further with that in verse 18, because now in verse 18, he tells, here's what you need to go tell Pharaoh. From verse 15 to verse 17, you have, go tell Israel this. And by the way, notice it was said there in the beginning of verse 18 that they're going to listen. They're going to hear you and they're going to listen. They're going to do this. They're going to follow you and they're going to believe you. But verse 18, now the message goes to Pharaoh. Middle of verse 18, here's what you say to the king of Egypt. The Lord, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. And now please let us go three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. You have to love telling. Okay, here's how it's going to go, Moses. I want you to go to the people of Israel and I want you to talk to all the elders and I want you to tell them that I am sent you. What that means is that I am with you and I've seen all your affliction and I know everything that's happened to you and I made a promise to you to take you out of this land of affliction and take you into a promised land, a land of blessings. And they're going to listen to you and they're going to follow you. Then once they listen to you, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell him that you need to go out to the wilderness, a three days journey, you need to worship me. But here's what's going to happen. He's not going to believe you and he's not going to let you do it unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. So verse 20, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. So here is God just laying all of this out and saying, piece by piece, this is a picture of what the I am is all about. God knows exactly how this is all going to play out. He goes to Moses and says, well, I sure hope all this works out. I think it's a great idea that right now we should do this. Here's how it's going to go. The people of Israel, they're going to listen. And the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, he's not going to listen. And I'm going to have to work mighty works. And when I do those mighty works, that's going to compel him to let you go. And then you're going to be set free. And oh, by the way, when they're set, when you're set free, they're going to want you out so badly and be so glad for you to go. They're going to give all the jewelry and the clothes they have in the house to you. And you're going to plunder them and take it when you go to the promised land. You see these concepts of what this means for God to be I am as all of these images are given to express God is active. Here are all the things that God is going to do. Here are all the things that God is going to accomplish. When you put all of these sentences together, the I am means that God is an ever-present God who is always with His people. And He describes it now to them and says, and being the I am means I rescue and I save and I come down to help my people because I know their condition. And you think about all of the characteristics of potentially who this God could be. The way that God expresses himself is in terms of how that's good for his people. 
It is not the I am means I can cast lightning bolts and french fry anybody on the spot if you just blink the wrong way. You know, or say a crossword and I can toast, you know, think about all of the kinds of mythology and Roman and Greek gods and how people conjured up the way the gods were. That if you did this or if you were cross or you did that, you know, God is doing, God is angry with us. And so they would do all these things to try to make the gods happy. And notice how God expresses it is the, the true and living God, the, the I am. For him to be eternal and ever present is not him just saying, well, I'm eternal and therefore you should believe in me because I'm looking around up here. Nobody else is eternal and so you have to trust me. The idea of God being eternal is this whole concept of because he is, that means he's always with his people. That's what's so precious about this paragraph. This whole paragraph is, and here's what this means. I observed everything that's happened to you up to this point. I've seen it all. I've seen every bit of what's happened to these people in Israel. I have seen their affliction. And I'm coming down to do something about it. And I'm going to rescue them and save them from this oppression and slavery. And bring them into a land of blessings. And I'm going to crush the, the head of this oppressor. I'm going to destroy them so that you will be set free and you will have plundered. Notice everything that God says is in reference to how this is good for the people of Israel. That's what's so stunning about this picture about God. This is what is amazing about him being the I am. Listen to how God does that throughout the book of Isaiah. I'm going to give you a few of these passages and notice how it is picturing the eternality of God while at the same time expressing why that's good for us. Who he is is for our benefit. Isaiah 46 verse 8. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Listen to, I mean, he's calling them sinners. Okay. Listen to this, you sinners, you transgressors. Call this to mind. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of counsel from a far country. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will do it. Now, that's not just God going, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. The context of Isaiah is. You've gone off into captivity and I'm going to bring a remnant and I'm going to save you. I'm going to bring the Messiah who's going to save my people. And you sinners, remember this. There's nobody that stops my plan because I am. There's nobody else. And so I know the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to accomplish it. And so if God says to them... You're going to come up out of this land and go into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to happen. Remember last time we looked at it, Moses says, well, I want, well, I want a sign for this. What's the sign going to be? Here's the sign I'm going to give you. You're going to come back to this mountain. Because I said, 
You're going to leave these people out. The whole idea of God being eternal and always there and ever present and with you at all times carries the whole picture that God does exactly what he says. He accomplishes his plans and he accomplishes his purposes. Look at Isaiah 44 and verse 6. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Notice this eternal idea again. He is the I am. There's no start or finish. He uses this whole beginning and end idea again. Who is like me? Now, is he just saying all that? No, watch. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not. Nor be afraid, have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Notice the idea of him saying, I am eternal, I am ever present, I am always there is, I'm the only one you can trust. That whole idea of rock is, I'm always there. I'm immovable. Wherever you look, I'm there. Whether you're here, whether you're there, God is there. And God is with you. He says, I look around, there's anybody else, there's not anybody else. I am that rock and there is no other. There's nobody that can help but God. I don't know that we have ingrained that truth enough. God is saying, nobody can help you but God. Nobody else. There's none like him. He's the one who's always there. And there's nobody else around him. There is no other rock but him. Isaiah does it again in Isaiah 43. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I'm chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Here is it. Here it is. I, I am. That, that's who I am. What does that mean? Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. I'm Yahweh. I, I am the I am. And besides me, there is no other Savior. Notice when God describes Himself, He always talks about it in terms of what that means to you. There's no other Savior. There is no other rock. There is no one who can accomplish their plan. There is no other who can accomplish the purposes. There is no other who can be with you. I am means I am always with you, that I am always with my people. Isaiah 45, verse 18. Thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord. I am who I am again. And there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Notice again the contrast. They can't save. They can't help. I am. I always am. I'm ever present. I'm always here. Only I can rescue. Then he continues on. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? 
who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord, and there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior? There is none beside me. Now, what does that mean? Turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. God is always expressing himself in terms of why that's good for you. Now, we have a world that thinks of God as kind of this crazy despot who's far away and he doesn't care and he's useless. And, you know, why should we care about him? And every time God talks about himself, it is always in reference to why that's good for you. This is why this is good in your condition. I am who I am. And that is a beautiful picture for God as a righteous God, a saving God. He rescues his people. And here he is calling to the ends of the earth and saying, there's no other savior. So come to me and be saved because I'm ever present. I'm the only rock. I'm the only rescue. I am your only help. There's nobody who can help you in this life but God alone. That is all bound up in this I am. That's why he is I am. He is ever present. He is always there. He never moves. He never leaves. He never walks away. He never forgets. He never doesn't see. It's never that he doesn't care. And that's what he's telling Moses. You think when when Moses says, what should I tell the people? Here's all you need to know, Moses. I am who I am. That's it. And from now on, all of your Old Testament capitalization of L-O-R-D, Lord, is that. Tell them Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord God, the ever-present one, says this to you or makes this declaration about various things. Now, There's a lot of New Testament implications. We'll have to do them quick. But think about how the New Testament rides so strongly on this knowledge. I have three really great places. There's there's a lot more. Let's just look at three of them that I think are very powerful. When you get to the Revelation, when you get to the New Testament, notice that that's the whole idea. What does God say? I'm the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first letter of the alphabet, Hebrew alphabet, and the last letter of uh, the Greek alphabet, the Greek uh, alphabet, Alpha and Omega. I am. I'm everything. And thus, who is, who was, and who is to come. In fact, you might have had in a footnote there in Exodus 3.13 or 3.14 it says, I am who I am. It could also be translated, I will be who I will be. You, you can't tense this. He, he, he's in the past. He's in the present. He's in the future. I am. He's just everywhere. There's no blocking who he is. And that's what he's saying here is that he's the ever-present God who is always with his people. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. I always am. Now think about what happens in the in the New Testament. Because here in the Old Testament, when God says, I am, it means I'm with my people, I've seen their condition, and I am coming down to rescue them. Moses, you tell them that. You tell them, I am, has sent you. You get over to the New Testament, and when Jesus is having this discussion, over in John 8, 56, here's Jesus. Your father Abraham rejoiced. That he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. 
And the Pharisees rightly have a problem with this. They say, uh, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham? <laughs> and what does Jesus say? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. <laughs> wow. And I want you to just recognize and bear all the weight of what that means now. I've come to rescue the God who is always there. Because, yeah, Abraham was before me, but I'm before him too. And he's like, what? Yeah, that's what's so mind-blowing about that. I'm here now, but I was there before him too. I am who I am. And I've come down to rescue. I've come down to save. In fact, notice a little bit earlier what he tell them. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you'll die in your sins. The whole idea of I am is God comes to rescue. That God is with His people. And that's what Jesus is doing by saying, I am. Is yes, He's equating Himself to God. But at the same time, making the point, I've come down. God has come down to save. Just like what happened in Exodus. God is coming down to save. And how is He going to rescue people? I will do mighty wonders and signs before them. And Jesus comes down. And that's exactly what He does. Remember, John the baptizer did no sign. And then here comes Jesus. And he is performing miracles and signs and showing himself to be the I am who cares about his people, who is ever present and comes down to rescue them. This is the whole idea of Jesus as the I am. Those statements that Jesus makes about who he is have dramatic implications for us to depend upon him for God rescues his people. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that very idea that God sees their condition. He cares about them. He comes down to rescue and to act. This is why I loved John 1.18. Back a few years ago, we studied the gospel of John and I just enjoyed chapter 1 so much because this statement particularly in verse 18 is stunning no one has ever seen God the one and only son the one who is at the father's side has revealed him you've seen the I am you've seen God come down and rescue This is why when Jesus is talking to his disciples, Lord, just show us the Father and it will be enough. (laughs) Have I been with you so long that you don't know who you're looking at? And you've seen me, you've seen the Father. This is what John is arguing that the I am is all about, is that Jesus is the I am who reveals the Father so that we can be saved. When you come across his name, the name that is to be remembered for generation after generation, as he says at the end of verse 15, that he is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. We recall him as a covenantal God who is faithful to his promises, who keeps his word. And when you see the word Lord, as most of our English translations have, you are taking this huge picture of God a God who sees our condition, who cares about it, who is always there, who desires to rescue and has come down to save. 
I used a line out of Hebrews in that final point there. Because that's what makes Jesus superior in every way, how he is able to save to the uttermost. Because other high priests rise and then die. And this one, because he's eternal, saves and continues saving and continues saving and saves to the uttermost because he is the eternal God. Moses had to go tell that to Israel. The I am has sent me to you. And I hope you will be moved by that concept of God because he never expresses that again. He just simply says, I am. And you're supposed to know that means God sees your condition. God knows what's happening in your life. And God cares. And God rescues. And God saves. And he proved it through his son, Jesus Christ, who came down for us. We're going to sing a song, and in this we invite you to come to Jesus, to see Him as the great I Am. That a God who would express Himself in terms of why obeying Him and following Him is good for us. And God could run around throughout all of these pages and just say, the reason why you need to follow me is because I'm going to barbecue you if you don't. It's a pretty rare argument that God makes. It's not the way God makes his argument. Well, you know, I'm going to get you if you don't do what I say, because I have the power to do that. Now, it's a picture of God who loves his people and says, I care about you, and I want you to be with me, and I desire for you to be with me, and that's why I gave my son so that you could be with me, because I see your condition, and I did everything you needed to be rescued. So now will you give your life to him? and turn away from sin and follow him with all of your heart. You ready to do that tonight? Won't you come while we stand and while we sing?